Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today I interview Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, Christina Hauk. She's a co-founder of the nonprofit organization, A New Grip, along with Samantha Glenn. The mission of A New Grip is to help sexually exploited individuals and human trafficking survivors regain their lives and find their inner peace again using Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a form of therapy and exercise. So I'm going to give some more information here for you on the matter. So human trafficking is a significant problem worldwide affecting millions yearly. Most victims of human trafficking are women and girls, accounting for 71% of all victims. Sexual exploitation is a form of human trafficking involving the use of force, fraud, or coercion to exploit someone for commercial sex. According to the International Labor Organization, an estimated 4.8 million people are victims of forced sexual exploitation worldwide. In the United States, sex trafficking is the most commonly reported type of human trafficking with the National Human Trafficking Hotline receiving reports of 6,326 cases in 2019. The average age of entry into commercial sex work in the United States is 12 to 14 years old, and many victims have a history of abuse, neglect, or trauma. Sexual exploitation and human trafficking often occur in industries such as strip clubs, massage parlors, and escort service as well through online platforms. Globally, an estimated 25 million people are victims of forced labor worldwide, including forced sexual exploitation. In addition, a human trafficking generates an estimated 150 billion in profits each year for traffickers making one of the most profitable criminal activities in the world. It's important to note that these statistics are estimates based on available data, and the number of victims may be higher. Furthermore, due to the clandestine, clandestine nature of human trafficking, it can be challenging to accurately measure the extent of the problem. However, by raising awareness and taking action, the to support victims and prevent human trafficking, we can work towards ending this heinous crime. That is what we're doing here today. So Christina is an accomplished fitness and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coach with experience in local and international events. And after training MMA at Ultimate Athletics in New York, she competed in multiple grappling tournaments. Eventually, she taught Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at all-girls school in Abu Dhabi, UAE. And while there, she won three consecutive UAE Jiu-Jitsu World Pro Championship coach titles. Christina received her black belt in 2022 under Rene Nazaré Azevedo. And since 2020, she has partnered with Samantha Glenn to make their dream come true, passing on their passion and knowledge to those who need it. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Did I share the information okay? Is it fairly accurate? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Okay. So before we get to the cause, so let's talk about how jujitsu show up in your life and we go from there. Um, so I was actually in college at the time when I was really into watching mixed martial arts, UFC, um, strike force, I guess at the time, Misha Tate was my, my all time favorite fighter. You have this, um, wonderful personality who happened to be a female. Um, she had a great grappling background and she was just kicking butt, um, in the MMA world. And so I felt like I wanted to do something like that, being a woman to be able to kind of be in a man's sport and dominate um, was something that was very intriguing to me. So I actually started training MMA at Ultimate Athletics in Ithaca um, under Team Bomb Squad. And that is where I was introduced first to jiu-jitsu. And that is where my real love and passion um, had started. So how long have you been training now? Um, I started jiu-jitsu in 2011, so it'll be 12 years this year. Okay, so after, basically, after a decade, how do you feel jiu-jitsu relate to life? Um, I think that the physical health component of training jiu-jitsu really benefits not only being a jiu-jitsu competitor, but anybody in a field that involves a lot of stressful conditions. So, um, I'm not sure about how anybody else feels, but I know that when I step onto the mat, my problems that I'm going through that day, they just kind of disappear and subside um, for that the remainder of that training session. And then it not only provides that therapeutic release and aspect, but it also kind of teaches you those lessons and values that you're going to be able to learn in jujitsu and you can use throughout life so you've got you know patience discipline respect perseverance loyalty everything that you're going to need to be able to create a successful um, career or any other aspect of your life moving forward i don't so tell me when what was the moment that you got that spark to to talk about this this uh the cause uh, what inspired you to do so so i guess a new grip kind of came about or the idea to to bring awareness to this came around um 2020 and that is when um my co-founder and i samantha uh we had been facebook friends because we had previously met in missouri in 2014 and kind of just stayed in touch on social media um but then during 2020 we were both kind of promoting and bringing awareness during the pandemic of human and sex trafficking and the increasing number of cases that were happening. And then within August of 2020, we had reached out to each other to kind of see what we could do to bring more awareness um, and adding in that jujitsu component. Um, and that is kind of how within the next couple of weeks, a new grip was born because we were able to take something that we found changed our lives and brought therapy to us and add that into um, human sex trafficking awareness. And now we have a nonprofit that partners with other nonprofits to be able to bring that service to survivors. So as I mentioned some some numbers in the beginning, I have a few more numbers here that, that are interesting. Well, we have listeners from all over the world, but we're recording this. We're in the United States and numbers that, yeah, I had no idea. And one of them, National Human Trafficking Hotline in 2019, 6,326 cases of sex trafficking and 2014 were cases of labor trafficking. Uh, the majority reported cases involve female victims, 
and 22% victims were minors. And caught my attention here to the states, California, Texas, and Florida have the highest reported human trafficking cases. Mm -hmm. And let me see what else here that it's, but yeah, just many just talking about how sex trafficking is the most commonly reported type of human trafficking in the United States. Although labor trafficking is also a significant issue and many victims of human trafficking in the United States are vulnerable populations such as runaway and homeless youth, individuals with a history of abuse or neglect, and those living in, in impoverty. So how, yeah, what, what kind, kind of like caught your, like your, your, any specific case that you felt like it really caught your attention for the cause? Um, I don't know if there was a specific case. I think it's just kind of um, personal circumstances that you grow up in and that you're around. And then you always kind of want to be able to help people heal or change something that you had seen or been through. And then when you see it nationally and you just see the numbers increase um, substantially in a short amount of time, it's it kind of makes you feel like you just you don't want to sit still anymore. Um, and given during the time that the world was shut down, you don't really have much to kind of do other than kind of play with your thoughts. And that's kind of how Samantha and I were able to come up with this idea of starting a nonprofit um, to be able to kind of do our part and try to help as in any way that we can therapeutically for these survivors. So tell us how the program works. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking, I was surfing around a little bit on, on the site to see uh, how it works. I know you, you work on like basically two sites, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, just let us know more about it. So a new grip is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, and just like you had mentioned previously, um, our mission is to be able to help those sexually exploited individuals use jujitsu as a form of therapy. Um, and exercise to be able to gain their inner peace back. Um, and what we do is we put on these workshops. So we partner with nonprofits that house these survivors. And once we create this partnership, we will go to them and we will introduce ourselves. So we have an intro to jujitsu program, which is trauma informed for these survivors. So that way um, it's a gradual movement into the program, right? So you're not just going to start in on like full mount and takedowns and stuff like that. So you would have to make sure that we go through certified classes to be able to work and understand how to communicate with these survivors, because we don't want to um, cause any more trauma to them. And so we'll put on a workshop. Our workshop can go from three classes up to you know, as many as needed to be able to get the, the survivors comfortable. And then we have a graduation process. So in that graduation process, they will get a brand new gi. We have a partnership with Gameness Gis. So they provide the gi for us. They have the logo nice. for um, a new grip on it. And then we also give them a cert uh, certificate. So this symbolizes their fresh start or a new chapter in their life. Um, and then from there, we also offer a continuing education program. So that is just moving into the next phase of jujitsu training so that way we can get kind of you know, more in depth on um, strategic jujitsu jiu techniques. Um, and then from there, if we have survivors that are still interested in moving forward with jujitsu after they have graduated their housing program or they're moving on and starting their life um, outside of the house, we will, we also want to eventually uh, be able to sponsor them as if they were a sponsored athlete. 
So we would be able to fund their entire jujitsu training for a year and be able to provide them um, with another uniform as well as, you know, a rash guard set so that way they're able to train um, as often as they want to. Um, we will also go out and meet them um, if we're able to, depends on where their relocation is. If it's obviously local, it's a little bit easier. And we will help them vet um, a jujitsu gym that we feel like would be able to provide them safety um, so that they do want to continue training in, a, in an environment they, they feel trusted in. Nice. Well, first, uh, shout out to Gameness for supporting the cause and providing the geese. It's always good to give a shout out to the to the to the companies who always you know embrace uh, a cause so how do you identify the participants how how do you go about they do you have any partnership with organizations they go uh, they bring them to you how does that work yep so we actually reach out to nonprofits that house survivors so right now we have a partnership with crisis aid international based in missouri and then we have a partnership with north star initiative based here in pennsylvania um and right now we're working on another program in Missouri. So that way, um, I think it's through crisis aid and they will be able to meet us at a, a gym um, and the students will be able to come there. So that way it, we can have more classes or more students in the class. Um, being that we have to you know, bring mats there to the houses, it makes it a little bit difficult because the mats are very, very small. So if you can bring them to a gym when there's no class times, um, it's a lot easier to have more um, survivors in one class. And then also we, outside of the North Star Initiative program that we have here in Pennsylvania, we also have two new partnerships that we're actually working on. Um, I can't release the nonprofit name yet until it's official, but we have two different um, organizations that are also interested in our program. And those programs will actually be a customized nine-week program. So it'll be um, semester-based versus just class-based. Okay. One of the things that I mentioned to you that I, I listened to your to your interview. Can you repeat the name of the podcast? Fight campaign? No, what is the name of the podcast the you, fight you back. were at? The Fight Back Podcast. Fight, mm -hmm. fight Back. So one of the things that I heard you mention it was some resistance as far as some of the organizations that they're not educated about mm -hmm. grappling and they can have the kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. So how has been dealing with this and then showing to them like a uh, try to educate them about about jujitsu, mm -hmm. basically? So we got very lucky in the beginning to have Crisis Aid International and North Star to be so open minded with the amount of programs and the amount of um, outside people they wanted to be able to bring in and interact with their survivors. So once we were able to get our foot in the door and start the programs there, we really solely focused on making those programs um, as successful as possible. And then once we got our foot in the door there, we were able to kind of get recommendations and um, kind of letters from these survivors on their experience, their personal experience on taking the program, how they felt, how it's mm, helped them. Nice. Um, and not just like in everyday life, but they, they have a sense of, being a real person again they have a sense of wanting a future they have all of these dreams and goals that they want to achieve just from doing our jujitsu program you know because they've found people that they can trust they're able to use their bodies for the first time in situations and positions that they want to be in right um so we were able to take these letters and that's when i reached out to um all the other nonprofits that i had reached out to in the first time nice um so i was like 
hi, it's me again, but this is kind of, I know you weren't sure about the program first, but we've been doing this for about a year and a half. These are the survivor testimonies that we've had so far. And I would really like your feedback in introducing the program to you, you know, all over again. Um, and that has really, really helped because coming down to it, it was exactly that. Like you said, they, a lot of people aren't knowledgeable in martial arts and they just assume jujitsu is pretty much you know, like anything else, you know, like striking or something that's violent or something that could um, weaponize the survivors if they get into like uh, an episode where they can't handle their emotions. But jujitsu, you know, it's known as the gentle art. It's known as, you know, a way to be able to calm your mind and your body and um, just be able to work through your problems. Now, I, I know that we're not going to share any names, but I'd love to hear some maybe success stories of like major changes and how quick were some of the, those changes? Because it's incredible that, for example, I, I had the opportunity, I was in Brazil a few weeks ago and we're recording some like a, a mini documentary with, with different, different projects. And then we, each one is, different uh, for different reasons and one of them was talking one day was specific talking about mental health and talking with a mom about a kid that is 11 years old and try to kill himself uh bullying all that kind of issue just way too young dude and and then she was mentioning how she tried you know they did like i don't know how many therapy sessions and he was just completely just like shut down. He would not open up. It was just basically, it wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then they found out about this social project and started getting involved with the jujitsu program. And, and then I mentioned like, so how I asked her, how quick did you start noticing changes at home? And she said like three classes. I'm mm -hmm. like, no way. She was like, just three classes. She started noticing the difference because that was the sense of like belonging mm -hmm. you know that's one of the things that no one it's like judging you over there everyone's there trying to improve and just have the sense of community and the lady responsible for the program she is incredible one of the most incredible community leaders that that i've met it's just and they do other activities too and art music mm -hmm. and jujitsu it's one of them and are saying like yes jujitsu but like Maybe if it was even like golf, but it's just like the community, the aspect, you know, like the safe place. And of course, jujitsu uh, um, is is different, that kind of like personal, you know, close relationship that you get. And then I, so I met, you know, the kid as well. So that was awesome to see that in, in such a short amount of time, she was like, wow. And then she started training too. So now to build that, you know, that get the that bond stronger so the sisters start training so it's awesome to see so with that said um yeah some study cases and how quick maybe you're able to see some some changes and i know it's very unique mm -hmm. yeah definitely so definitely the feeling of acceptance it really plays a huge part into what jujitsu is you know because I mean, like you had mentioned before it the, the community is huge if you do jujitsu it doesn't matter really what team you're on it's the jujitsu community. So being able to bring that into a life where they don't have a lot of self-confidence or self-esteem, where maybe they never felt like they were accepted or safe. Um, being on the mats with people that make you feel that way, I think definitely helps out a lot. I mean, each survivor testimony 
it always varies based on like personality and the trauma that they did experience, um, the amount of trauma they experienced. But we do have um, a particular person who, when we, when she started the program, um, they were completely by themselves. So usually when we have like a survivor workshop, there's more than one survivor to be able to be a part of um, the workshop class. But this particular person was completely by themselves. So I think it made them feel very uncomfortable. But, you know, me and um, my counterpart, Jess, she also helps at the workshops as well. Uh, we were able to take it very, very, very slow. So the first step is, you know, let's just sit on the mat. Let's take our shoes off on the mat. Let's just stretch. Let's talk. Let's then you start to gain like the, the trust. You start to make them feel accepted. You start to make them feel welcome. And um, and then the, the next class. So sometimes the progression is very, very slow. It's like stretching with your shoes off on the mat. And now here we are, I think our fourth class with this person and now they are doing positions they want to learn more they want to participate you know so sometimes it starts very very slow and you wonder you know how you're going to be able to kind of mold the class to be able to make this person feel a lot more comfortable and then all of a sudden it's that relationship building that it makes them really want to trust you and try and then they kind of fall in love with it and so I think a lot of the times it's not so much the sport jujitsu that people fall in love with, but it's the energy and the way that they, that you make them feel. And they feel like this is what jujitsu is going to bring me. So it's definitely the, the overall experience. Yeah. So what did you say? Like so far, how uh, the organization is going up to three years? Yep. Three years in September. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest let's say struggles of the organization to keep growing it's not easy to to grow a nonprofit organization right it's mm -hmm. it's a tough one so what are some of the biggest challenges that you currently have um the biggest one for us is a lot of nonprofits they're able to share in-depth experiences of what they have to offer um through social media with us we have to keep a lot of what we do confidential so we can't mm -hmm. show survivors we can't show workshops we can't even take a picture of outside or record outside so when we give our updates on how the workshops went we have to do it you know in our car or when we get home um just because we can't leave anything that's behind that may be identifiable um for somebody you know because these survivors are you know a finding a safe place from their abusers, essentially. And so they can't be like found. Um, so we aren't able to kind of go in depth. So a lot of what we have to share and a lot of our supporters is just going off of trust. Like, okay, we're just trusting that if we support them, if we donate, if we go to their event, that the money used is going to go towards, you know, helping these survivors or the graduations. Gotcha. So it's really, that's been the biggest struggle is, um, being able to kind of share as much as we can, but with as little that we're allowed to, um, as well as it's a topic that not everybody wants to talk about, right? Nobody it gets super excited to talk about, you know, sex trafficking. It's a, it's a topic that makes people feel uncomfortable. It's a topic that um, even society kind of tries to, you know, sugarcoat sometimes. It's, it's a very traumatic experience. It's something that isn't hard to be, or it, it's not easy to be around. It's very hard to kind of deal with sometimes. Um, so a lot of what we do and a lot of work that we do, it's, it just makes it more difficult in those ways with people who want to support, but they also don't want to know too much, if that kind of makes sense. 
So let's change gear a little bit and talk a little bit more about your jujitsu journey. So I know that you got involved with competition, right? And do you remember how do you feel your first competition? Um, my first competition, I felt uh, super excited. Um, the last time I, I, I was, I, I think I was 18, 17 or 18. So the last time I had competed previously in that in any kind of sport was just high school and college sports. Um, so this was something that was team-based, but very individualized, right? So you had a team to train with, but however I did it in the competition was based on my effort. Um, and so that was something that really excited me. Um, I remember my first competition was actually a no-gi competition and it happened to just be an in-house um, competition that other gyms would come to and they didn't have enough women in our division so instead of having like a beginner and an intermediate we had it all combined so we did a, um, a women's and then I also competed in the men's division too just to have more experience um, but it was it was a thrill it was super exciting it was something that kind of sets you up and you you kind of chase that that feeling after you have it the mm -hmm. first time so I like to ask not just about the first, and I like to ask how was the second. The reason why I ask is because I, for example, when when I was a teenager, I got my first tournament. So my first one, I'm excited. I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just like, yay, I'm going to compete. So I personally, for some people who have been listening to the to the podcast, uh, shout out to all the hardcore listeners who listen to 135 or 36 episodes. I uh, know a little bit more about my competition story, and then especially the beginning wasn't very successful. So being a, a teenager with low self-esteem, by the time I go to my second one, I wasn't excited. I was like, well, the last time I got my butt kicked twice. So now the excitement replaced with anxiety, like, well, this time I have to win because the last time I lost. So that's kind of like looking at how was my thought process. Of course, not everyone's like that. Some people still excited, but that was kind of like my journey that eventually led me to start studying more the the mental aspect of comp uh, competition. So for you, how was the second tournament? Um, I think it was, it was still the same. I mean, you always, you're, you're always going to have like a little bit of anxiety because you, you want to perform well, but it's still that excitement to kind of showcase what you've been working on. Um, so I still had the excitement. I think the, the most anxious part for me is just trying to make weight. You know, I feel like that's, I feel like that's the hard one, the hardest part. Well, that's the first, it is the first battle. Cause if you don't win that battle, you don't get to compete. Right. Exactly. So then it's like, okay, after that, now it's, this is what I've been training for. So I feel like training, making weight, that's the hard part. I feel like the competition, that's when the fun begins. That's where I get to step out on the mat and um, perform and put on a show. And, you know, obviously everybody wants to win. So I'm not, I don't really have the mentality of, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. I, I obviously want to win. I'm a competitor, just like a lot of other competitors, but at the end of the day, it, it, it's always based on your effort um, in that match or in that tournament. So you had some MMA experience actually competing in MMA, right? Mm -hmm. How many how many fights did you do? I only did one fight and I got my butt kicked. <laughs> yeah. So how was that emotionally speaking going for that one? Um, that was heartbreaking. Um, just because I had just started competing in Nogi uh, and I was 
really good. I had won my first no-gi mat uh, bracket. I went against the men and got third place in the men's division. So I was going into MMA on this high. You know, I was going against a girl who had lost her first match. This is her second match. So I felt like I I could kind of take on the world. You know, you get like, you know, you're, you're young. You have like this... Um, cockiness you know and so I go into the cage and she rocks me and I was like I don't I don't want to be here I don't like getting punched in the face I don't like any of this <laughs> um and so that's kind of where I was like I think jujitsu is kind of my happy place <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha and so tell us more about the opportunity to go into Abu Dhabi um mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go there a few times and and especially seeing a, a women point of view because of the cultural differences mm -hmm. there. So number one, how does the opportunity present itself and how was for you as a woman living in, in Abu Dhabi with the, you know, as I mentioned, the cultural differences? Yeah. So actually the opportunity came about through um, Hene Nazare Azevedo. Um, he was working there. Um, and he told me about it, kind of got me into the company a little bit. And so that's kind of how I was introduced to it. I started talking to Ursula, went through the whole process with Palm Sports. Um, I went over there and I absolutely loved the country. It's beautiful. The architecture is beautiful. Um, the weather's a little bit hot in the summertime. But as mm. far as, you know, the cultural, it was a little bit of a cultural shock at first, right? Because um, just the very differences in the way that the, the culture is versus like what you're used to in your home country, but you learn to respect it and you learn to kind of adapt to being in their country and um, being able to really see it for as beautiful as it is and, um, yeah, the, I mean, the overall experience, it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. I loved being able to just jujitsu, do, to do, do jujitsu all day. Um, I love to be able to make this influence into these girls' lives at Al Ertica School. I love to be able to watch them compete and do something that women in their country weren't able to do even 10 years ago mm -hmm. um, and be able to yeah. kind of do that not only for their country to represent their country, but to also do it in front of um, their fans. So it, the whole experience, it was just, it was a beautiful experience. So they're all like really into training. Cause I know that they put in schools and mm -hmm. sometimes I know the kids would be kind of like, okay, I'm kind of doing this because it's kind of a chore and like, I really don't want to do it, but they kind of have to do it. Mm -hmm. So what is the vibe that you got, you know, from, from the girls again, as you, as you mentioned it, culturally speaking years ago this was even impossible to even mm -hmm. happen so how was the the acceptance from most of them um so we had two different programs in the school we had an actual class like you would take like a gym class or an art class or a social studies class so they had a jujitsu class um and they had to do that once a week and that was probably the hardest that was like pulling teeth to kind of get the girls to be a part of it um, Ooh. it was very hard to, for them to accept it. You know, their parents or grandparents thought it was, you know, a sin or that it was bad for them and for their body mm. and, you know, and women go through those changes every month. And so it's, it was very hard to kind of get them to be a part of it in that way. Right. But then we had, um, our team training program, which was after school hours. And that is where the girls that excelled in class or the girls that wanted nice. to compete or the girls that 
really wanted to just learn more jujitsu, they would come to after class and that's when the team training would start. And those girls, it was, it was a ton of fun because you've got people that are just sponges that everything that you say, they want to absorb and they want to learn and they want to take, and, um, they love hearing who your wants story. to be there. Right. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Um, and then just being able to take them to competition and, and see them be so proud to like wear their country on their chest and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that, that was very, um, it was wonderful to be a part of that. Yeah. I know a bunch of people who currently live in Abu Dhabi or lived at some point. I think my, I think my worst nightmare, I don't know if you remember my worst nightmare, but teaching, but it's just like, I have to teach someone that do not care or do not want to be in that class. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause usually Sure, maybe you have some kids here in the U.S. that, you know, the parents are kind of like, okay, we'll have to do it. Uh, but like in a different level of like, dude, I don't want to be here whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, and especially for you again, uh, for the, the women's side, probably if there is resistance from guys, imagine from from the girls. So, mm -hmm. um, so how was that for you emotionally speaking to go like, oh, here we go again, you know, and like I said, like pulling teeth, yeah. how was for you emotionally going through that process for three years? Yeah, it was, um, it was overwhelming just because they did end up getting a grade at the end of the quarter for doing jujitsu. Um, we did leave it open. So that way it wasn't mandatory if they signed up to do jujitsu, they had to do it the entire year. So that was the part that mm -hmm. was hard because you had, would have girls that would be like, oh, my friend does it. She thinks it's fun and she'll sign up. And then she's stuck there. And if she doesn't show up to class or if you're having trouble with them, they get a zero. And then the parent is like, why is my kid failing if this is not a mandatory class? And so that was kind of the hard part to kind of adapt to. Um, it was very, you know, that part was kind of stressful. That part was like very tiring because you're just wonder like, why am I doing this? Nobody likes it, you know? And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking too, because you have something that you love and that you're passionate about and that you really want to bring um, to them because you feel like it will be able to help them the way it helped you. And then for them not to be receptive of that was very um, heartbreaking in some ways. Before you go into Abu Dhabi, did you ever leave the country before? No, that was my first time. Yeah, so I always mention, you know, especially for people who have never lived the country, it's it's amazing to just go see the world, mm -hmm. just see different uh, different places. I'm um, I mentioned to you before the interview where people are maybe listening for the first time, not familiar with uh, what I do or, or how long you've been here. But I mentioned I, I live half of my life uh, this year, yeah, officially half of my life in Brazil and and half in U.S. And you start to really like. Uh, like I said, adapt to the culture, you know, and of course, he very, very different to Abu Dhabi. And of course, I embrace so many things uh, from here. But what did you say? It's like one of your main takeaways from Luca. That's an incredible experience mm -hmm. to be able to live abroad for three years. That's an incredible experience. So what do you think looking back, you know, some of the main takeaways that really helped you for like in life in general, just for the fact that you lived abroad for a few years? Um, some takeaways from being over there was just definitely open mindedness, being able to kind of I grew up in a very small town. So it was kind of like a little bubble gum. You know, I, mm -hmm. I got more experience as I grew up and I left like my town and then my country. And so just being open-minded and accepting, um, and 
just always be kind, you know, you, you want to be able to kind of leave a mark on people and you want to be able to make sure that you're, you're always accepting of them to be able to make it an easier transition for you. Do you think if the see the opportunity present itself again, would you do it again? Oh yeah, right now? I would do it. Yeah, of course. I loved it. Right on. <laughs> Good for you. So um, I'm going to get a few quick questions. You one of them about advice. What is one of the best piece of advice that I've ever received? It doesn't have to be jujitsu, just mm -hmm. life in general. You know, what comes to your mind? Um, the best piece of advice that I ever got was um, from somebody that told me that the world is not meant to be fair. So we suffer because of the idea that life is meant to be painless. Things should go smoothly. Um, and you just shouldn't accept it or accept, expect it to be fair because you are a good person or you work so hard. Life has its own rules. It's complicated. Um, it's not the same for everyone, but it helps form the person that you're meant to be. Mm -hmm. Did you receive this piece of advice when you going through a rougher time or unnecessarily? Uh, yeah, it was. It was exactly going through a rougher time. Mm -hmm. Okay. It did help you like give a different perspective? I think it was in a way or, or did it, it took a while to actually make because mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of the storm, you know what I mean? Whatever people say, like, whatever, man, you know, like, mm -hmm. but after, you know, you'd be able to. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So it was one of those times where you're reaching out to somebody and you are expecting to hear something or you want to hear something, but you want to hear what you want to hear. Right. So if I'm coming to you with a problem, mm -hmm. I want I want to hear that, you know, it what I'm going through isn't fair or, or whatever, but this person gave me some straight up advice that at the time I didn't appreciate, right. Because it, I wasn't open to hearing that that's not what I wanted to hear. And then later on down the road, you realize, um, it really helps get through a lot of different things that people go through. Mm -hmm. And now talking about your training, what would say like, what advice would you give to the younger, your younger version when you start training? You know, you didn't know anything about jujitsu, you know, mm -hmm. and of course, especially the first six months of jujitsu can be a little tricky. And, and for the girls that don't have as many girls, mm -hmm. you know, training, sometimes there's one girl in a, in a room, there's like big dudes or whatever. So looking back, what piece of advice would you give to your younger version who was starting to train? Uh, keep showing up. It's going to be hard in the beginning. It's hard for everybody. When you see your idol, you're just watching their highlight reel, right? You're not watching the behind the scenes. Everybody's behind the scenes starts the same. Everybody's bad. Everybody gets their butt kicked. Everybody gets put to sleep. Um, it's, it's a really rough start for everybody. But if you keep showing up and you're consistent, that's when you progress. That's when you get better. And that's when it's going to be your time to shine. And you, you mentioned um, one of your kind of like idols in a way that kind of inspire you to train. Uh, Misha? Misha Tate? Oh, yeah, That's Misha Tate for yeah. in yeah. MMA, yeah. So besides her, anyone in jiu-jitsu that caught, caught your attention? Oh, yeah. Well, you've got um, Beatrice Mesquita. You've got Bea Mesquita. You've got, um, oh, my gosh, so Mackenzie Dern. Um, there's, a, there's a few different women that I absolutely idolize in jiu-jitsu. Right on. And now 
talking about the organization, mm -hmm. I know that it's only we're going September going to three years. But now looking back when you started, anything that you could give the advice to your version of, yeah, almost three years ago, uh, because I'm still going, I I co-founded the, the Jiu-Jitsu tribe in 2010 mm -hmm. and still going through like learning, like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. Oh, yeah, I didn't. Know. So you're still going to go through mm -hmm. some growing pains and, and it's part of it. Anything that you could tell your younger version when you starting the, the program? What do you think? Um... Anything different that you could, that you're, you think you could like a strategy to be like hey you already tried this i already tried this year this kind of doesn't work too well you know maybe do this year. anything that comes to your mind um i think that i would just i would kind of be more i guess what's what's the word i'm looking for um I, i'm not aggressive but like going after like more going after more uh, nonprofits that house these individuals with more confidence, right? Confidence in my ability in what I do, um, because I feel like I have a, a decent resume in teaching jujitsu and then more confidence in what our program has to offer to be able to help these survivors, you know, because the first time that you talk with them, it's kind of like they're asking you questions and you're like kind of mousy and you're a little bit afraid to like say, cause you, you're not sure what they're going to say back or, mm -hmm. um, just definitely more confidence, be more assertive, um, understand that what I have to offer is valuable to what their program can be made of. So what kind of vision do you have for the organization as far as as far as scaling or making something bigger where would like to see the organization like 10 years um so samantha and i had always discussed in the beginning how cool it would be to have a new grip in each state of the united mm -hmm. states um to be able to give more resources to survivors and and housing units that survive um housing survivors um, I'm not sure if 10 years, cause I mean, that seems like a long time, but it's also a very mm -hmm. short amount of time <laughs> if that will happen. But I guess, um, in the immediate future, it would be really nice to be able to, um, expand the programs that we currently have here in Pennsylvania, maybe, um, add a, a few more nonprofit partnerships, the same thing with Missouri and have, um, workshops where we have more coaches, more programs, and then eventually be able to branch out into um, a few other states. I like that. And one of the things, uh, so with Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, we, we work not only, I mean, since Brazil, there are a lot of social projects or ideas, not just Brazil, but it's worldwide. Mm -hmm. Whoever is doing whoever is doing social projects, and, you, and unfortunately in the U.S., there are not many, but whatever they have, we, we do our best to support. Uh, but the idea of like, like talking about Brazil, we're starting the Jiu-Jitsu Tribe Institute, so a personal development uh, institute, like focus there. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to have like some community leaders in each state. And because I feel like there, there, there are different layers in a way mm -hmm. of like, so we have like, because you, you can be, someone can be, a. this is just my by the way, everyone's listening. This is just my opinion. Doesn't mean that it's the truth or anything like that. It's just uh, the story that I tell myself. Uh, so we have donors. People donate some money. And then I feel like a next level is a volunteer, someone that is actually like giving the, 
like the time they're actually donating i think you know like because you can make a check mm-hmm. but like actually being there and donate your time it, it's it's huge and and i feel that you have like a like a project leader a nonprofit, mm-hmm. you know leader and then we as far as like let's say let's say in brazil we have a lot of guys that run their social project and teach jiu-jitsu and it's incredible and then you have a next layer that it's community leaders but not just a project leader meaning they take care of their own project and that project and that one so multiple so he's have like a bigger view mm-hmm. those are not easy to find they're like very unique individuals like i like to call them the uh kind of like the unicorns you know mm-hmm. like the one they're like man they're really like everywhere trying to take care of the community and i think that evolution of the unicorns is basically like social entrepreneurs people who like they make a business to generate the the sustainability to for the, for the nonprofit and so forth and make like a, a big uh organization that's pretty incredible to see so i feel that he, the the goal that you have in each state i believe that is doable the same way that it's it's a long journey how to be like jiu-jitsu tribe to have one of those in each state in us or in brazil it's a massive it's a massive goal but i feel that it's possible but now the thing is for uh what's their their challenge for you is to find those unicorns, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? The ladies that are like, um, not only they want to work with that specific topic, but they know jujitsu and mm-hmm. they can teach, you know? So there's like a very specific skills, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That are needed to be inserted in that group. So how can we help to get the word out of, of girls that could possibly get involved with a program in some way if they're going to eventually run a you know a program it might be someone that maybe it might have been a victim before you know mm-hmm. what i mean and train jiu-jitsu and then kind of get the passion that are like i like the mission i want to be involved how can we help to get the word out of the organization um mostly it would just be kind of social medias um being able, we have, you know, a Facebook, Instagram, um, we have a website. I mean, we've, we have found, um, some individuals that are interested in being able to help. I think the biggest thing is in the beginning, it's for free, right? So you want to be able to help an organization, especially for what the cause is. Um, but when you see the amount of time and the amount of work that actually goes into it and there's really mm-hmm. no compensation, uh, that's mm-hmm. what's really hard. And mm-hmm. Samantha and I are extremely blessed with our secretary and social media coordinator, Holly. She is phenomenal. She is our uh, unicorn for sure. Uh, her plate is she'll take on anything that you ask of her. So she has the same mentality as Samantha and I, we just want to be able to make the nonprofit as big as possible. Um, But that it has been a challenge, but I guess the biggest or the best way to be able to kind of bring awareness to it is just, you know, sharing social media is being able to kind of interact with people. Um, Once we're able to tell our story a little bit more and re and have a bigger outreach, um, it makes it a little bit easier to have, people be in contact with. Cause I mean, I mean, we have a few people that are interested in different States. We just aren't able to really put on, 
you know, events or or partner with housing units or anything like that in those states at this time. So it's it's not only um, hard to find, you know, people who want to work with this topic, who trains you to but they also have to be located where we actually have um, yeah, okay. housing units now. So the, the biggest and easiest way to be able to is outreach with social medias. A good idea to be, again, maybe for, if you're listening to this right now, when you maybe know someone that could be a potential ambassador, mm -hmm. right? Maybe a well-known competitor, that connect with a with a cause that maybe know someone that have been through and they can relate somehow you know maybe they would be a little more engaged mm -hmm. to um, to the cause but i think it would be awesome too and that's a process of who knows hopefully the you know the podcast can help mm -hmm. a little bit someone forwarding like yo check out this this organization you know to um, to maybe a female practitioner and even better if it's a you know a well-known in a way mm -hmm. like in a jiu-jitsu community that the presence on social media be good to be like can help you like hey everyone you know mm -hmm. this is the organization even if it's not not necessarily like i said like can really put the time to be a volunteer mm -hmm. but just for like be representing you know the cause mm -hmm. um that could be a possibility too so for people who are listening and want to forward this interview or your guys instagram you know hopefully you can get some um um some more traction anyone that you're that you guys have that you know uh, any female competitor that, that it's helping to get the word out um do so we actually we do have an ambassador program that we we run which is a, an awesome idea it's 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 definitely been um, a great tool for us and that's actually run by samantha's husband brian he's the ambassador and the event coordinator that we have for a new grip um and so we are open you know with ambassadors and volunteers that are outside of you know you can be a man or a woman we we you know, just being able to kind of have more people to represent the brand, like you had mentioned, is definitely a plus. Um, as of right now, competitor wise, we don't have a female competitor that really represents a new grip. That is something that, you know, we had have been looking into, we just haven't been that successful with. But um, it's definitely something that we would love to be able to have in our um, nonprofit. Awesome. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. So let us know what are you guys currently excited about? What's going on with your organization? Any events coming up? Um, so overall excitement right now is um, the CAP program that we're working on in Missouri to be able to bring more survivors into our survivor workshop there, as well as branching out um, and expanding our workshops here with the two new um, organizations that we've been working on partnerships with. So that's probably the most exciting um, piece that we have going on right now. We don't have any planned um, fundraisers up at the moment, just because we've been so busy behind the scenes with like these extra partnerships. Um, but we are hoping to get back onto doing some more fundraisers, whether that is a roll-a-thon or whether that is, you know, a weekend seminar or something like that to be able to bring to everybody so that we are able to kind of gain more support and traction. Awesome. And for the listeners, uh, we're talking before 
uh, we're recording that I'll be doing my best to kind of promote more nonprofits, right? Bring more cause, you know, it's just happening. Like, you know what? I need, I need to research more and see what's going on. And then that's kind of how I, I found out like, Hey, let me send a message, see what you can do. And for the listeners, if you have any suggestion or any organizations, there are some that I send messages. Some people reply, some people don't, or uh, some people sometimes don't get the message or can go to a, to spam or sometimes whatever Instagram and go to a different folder. They don't know about it or whatever. But if you're listening and you have a good contact from a nonprofit that would be awesome to let people know about it. And because and, I feel that people should, especially jujitsu, should find a way to like pay for it to an organization, whatever cause I feel like you, you connect. You know, I, ma- I made a post couple of days ago about the importance of the small monthly contributions right be like because sometimes people may feel like man i don't need five bucks and five what are you going to do five bucks i prefer not doing two. but if you think about it yeah i mean you got five bucks at the end of the year is 60 bucks but hey we have a hundred people doing that okay now we're, we're up to something you know so don't for the listener yeah don't don't underestimate the power of a, a small donation monthly five bucks we're like come on five bucks and if you connect with a a message whatever that is uh maybe it's not jujitsu related maybe some type of organization but i feel like just being just helping i i i've been supporting charity water for maybe like four years going to five or so that's an incredible one that is not necessarily related to jujitsu uh, Browse Foundation has been doing work in a partnership with them, which is awesome. Incredible. Should, you guys should check out BrowseFoundation.com. They're one of Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's partners. All the geese that we make for Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, it's through Browse. So I'm always up to uh, be giving props to companies who are supporting, not just Jiu-Jitsu, but supporting uh, nonprofits, especially when they're like maybe small, they're taken off. I and mean, that's when really need the support so it's if you have you listen to this and you know any have any suggestions for nonprofits that we can we can connect and promote for sure let us know and just let us know also your uh instagram and website best way to connect to you guys what you got um so our instagram is a new grip BJJ. And um, our website is a new grip BJJ.org. Awesome. Anything else? Any, I don't know, thank anyone or sponsor will talk about uh, Gameness. Anyone else? Um, just a huge thank you and shout out to Gameness Geese. Uh, massive thank you to Samantha, uh, the co founder and president of the Missouri branch, Holly, um, for all of the work that they do. Um, and then obviously our volunteers that help out with all of the workshops so and all of our supporters and thank you so much for having us too (laughs) cool great so yeah just hang in there for a second and everyone um i'll be doing my best to do more episodes this year last year was a little slower and if i can get one out every two weeks i'll be pretty stoked in the middle of everything that i do so i'm pretty stoked to just get a few out so I hope you guys have a great day and I see you later. Who's
We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.